0: The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be
1: unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. Brent is commenting on the quality of the martini I made for him here in the studio.
2: It
3: was lovely. Oh, for God's sake, another dirty martini person? It was lovely. Oh, you guys.
1: (laughs) Dude, it was my 17th wedding anniversary, May the 4th. And do you know what the 17th modern wedding anniversary gift is? There's nothing special about the number seventeen, yeah, but you know like like when it you've you've got the golden anniversary, the silver anniversary, and then you've got the the modern ones where it can be fabrics and nonsense like that. Apparently, the modern seventeenth anniversary gift is
2: alcohol
3: <laughs> you have to wait seventeen years for that.
2: You know, towards the end of of my marriage, um, alcohol was uh, the, the 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 gift at every anniversary. Uh, and a gift I kept on giving. Yes. Oh yeah. So wifey
1: got me Chopin potato vodka. That's okay. It's a French vodka from Poland.
3: Oh, sorry. That' are right. It is from Poland. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Grey goose is from
1: uh, France. And apparently, I did an okay job with the martini despite never trying this vodka before.
3: It's a a standard sort of potato vodka. uh, We in Eastern Europe do vodka better than anybody else. (laughs) No, it's because you don't have anything else to do. Well, here's what. No, we don't. We put a bunch (laughs) of potatoes in a bucket, we let them rot, and then we drink the juice. That's basically what it is. Well, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I have a local vodka uh, from Oakville, I think. That uh, is made from apples. Wow. And it's got a little bit of a fruity taste to it.
1: They don't have potatoes out Oakville way? (laughs)
3: Uh, Well, this is Oakville. We've upgraded from potatoes. (laughs) (laughs) To apples? I don't know. The guy, you know what? The guy was, he was at the front door of the LCBO when I went in. And he looked really, really lonely. And he says... Are you a gin or a vodka guy? I thought, oh, you poor dude, you've been here all day. Um, I'm a vodka guy. So, well, here, try some of our vodka. It's made with apples. So I tried it, and it was good enough at the moment to, for me to grab a bottle. So that's how I ended up with. What's the company? Oh? I can't. Re- I can't remember. It's in the freezer. Oh, go get it now, uh, since we uh, plugged the right, guy. Hang on, hang on. Please
1: stand <laughs> by. Yeah, in the freezer. Oh, you go get your wife to deal with it. <laughs> Did you make it to your 17th anniversary with that attitude?
3: (laughs) Uh, It's coming. Hang on. It's there. I know. I didn't finish it. It's Coming.
1: Oh, see, now it's even worse because she can't find it. No, 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 no. Here we go. She's coming. She's on her way to the studio. How long have you and uh, Mary Ellen been married? It's called Nor. Oh,
3: we have been. How long have we been married? It's it'll be twenty nine <laughs> years this year. You had oh well then you've got a wow. big one coming up soon. Yes, we do. Uh, it's called uh, Northern Temple Premium Canadian Spirit.
1: And and it's worthwhile. We we should check it out. Yeah, I I like it. It's a nice summer vodka. Uh, well, we've had a beautiful day here. As a matter of fact, we were thinking about taking the uh, the studio recording session out to the back deck. It
3: says ingredients distilled water apples and sugar and it is made from the nickel distillery and you know in toronto okay so it's a toronto there you go
1: yeah there you are mr (laughs) mr oakville Uh, going on about how wonderful oakville is okay i bought it in oakville you know what wifey calls oakville Uh, oakville she calls it oak vegas all right fine Can we actually get to what we're talking about tonight? Shall we do the show?
3: Yeah, we should
0: do, probably do the show. Now <laughs> right, here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Live from Studio Three B now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Haynesworth, featuring musical guests
1: Sting. You We're going to take it All the Way with Rosanna. We break down the 1982 track from Toto. Former
3: Alanis Morissette producer Brent
1: Bodrug joins us for some insights into corporate rock, doo-wop, and an iconic 80s synth sound. Plus, some of your favorite Canadian bands are getting together for a benefit concert and will tell you what to expect from CosmoFest 2019. We'll be live on location.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth.
1: So the whole idea behind this show came as a result of my daily power walk. Have I ever told you about this? That Once I walked away from, from regular mainstream media that somebody said, listen, you got to stay active.
3: Okay, wait a second. Yeah. You're telling me that you actually exercise.
1: Well, I don't know if you want to call. Well, my Apple watch calls it exercise because after about 10 minutes of this power walk along Danforth Avenue, my watch pops up with a notification asking me if I would like to record an outdoor walk. And I say, yes. So I guess technically it qualifies. And then eventually I close the loops, the little circles, because we've gamified our lives now. But um, as part of that, I have a playlist and I I tap the side of my head for my Apple AirPods and I go, Siri, play the walking playlist. And half the time it plays the wrong thing. But Mm. when it plays the right thing, one of the tracks it's been playing lately is Toto's Rosanna. Okay, now I
3: need to ask, how did this song Get on that playlist in the first place.
1: It was an earworm. I had walked past a store. I had heard it, and I thought I've got to get this. And now that I've got the Apple Music, I'm paying the what is it, the twelve bucks a month or something, for Apple Music. Because my little one, a twelve going on twenty two, certainly big into music now. She's getting into this. She won't tell me what she's listening to, by the way. Okay. But um as it passed by the store, I thought, hey, I don't own that song, but now that I got the Apple Music, I'll pull it out, and I was amazed to listen to this track from 1983. 82, by the way. 82,
3: huh? Yeah, April 1st, 1982. Yeah, okay. I won't question you about gadgets. (laughs) You don't question me about music.
1: Oh, well, so then I, I, I was listening to this, and I was thinking, this sounds like a song that was at the early days of corporate rock, and it sounded like a song that was produced by committee. So I thought, why not bring in regular Geeks and Beats listener-slash-contributor Brent Bodrug in, former producer himself, to help us understand how this song from 1982 came into being. Brent, good to have you with us.
2: Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here. In Studio 3B
1: East. You didn't want to make the trek out to Oakville. (laughs) No, although I do have a fine studio here with uh, two guest mics now. Huh. Oh, two, not one guest mic, but two guest yeah. mics. Oh, a
2: road trip for next you, time.
1: Yeah, you can do a whole panel show now. <laughs> All I have to do is get rid of the dogs or I have to get rid of my allergies.
2: Yeah, yeah, one of the two.
1: When you walked into the studio, the first thing you said to me was, great selection for a song, and I thought you were mocking me.
2: No, I love the song. I love this band. You know, if, if Steely Dan was my, my dad's band, Toto was my band. This was, you know, not, not your father's smart rock music.
1: Smart rock music. Alan, do you concur?
3: Uh, The era of corporate rock really begins about 1977 with bands like Boston and Kansas and a few others. And Toto, being made up of a bunch of very, very good studio musicians, fell into that sort of category with their first album, which was self-titled. And um, in me, you know, the idea of corporate rock is is something that, that is deliberately composed to be successful in terms of mainstream mainstream commerciality and that was definitely what toto was trying to do these guys wanted to have a future as a very successful commercially successful band um and for a while there was a certain aspect or there was a certain segment of the music community that looked down upon toto saying that uh, you know they were artificial they were soulless they were corporate so, maybe yes, but now, after many, many years, uh, there has been a reevaluation of what they have done. And some of their songs, including Rosanna, have come up for um, renewed
1: what's the word I'm looking for? A study. Well, what I wanted to study was how this song really came about. Because, as I said, it, feel, it feels like a song that was produced by committee. The first. Part of the song. Traditional corporate rock, you know, whether you want to consider that to be a, a negative statement or not is a separate conversation. But you know the the, the, the whale guitar and, and and the power chord.
4: Rosanna,
1: But then there's a whole second section that almost has a doo-wop kind of thing that sounded actually reminiscent of Billy Joel. comes this entire bridge that is quintessential 80s synthesizer. Right at the end, it's like some record exec busted into the room screaming, You promised me honky-tonk! Like four different people wanted four different songs.
2: Yeah, I don't hear it that way. I, I mean I I I think maybe superficially that's what comes across. But I mean, starting even with the drum intro, um, Jeff Porcaro, who who was the drummer in the band, I mean I mean, he said that he was inspired by a couple of different Steely Dan grooves that were played by um Bernard Purdy, the Purdy Shuffle, uh, who was he was a massive drummer in the in the you know 60s and 70s he you know he's played with Aretha he's uh Alan you would have some insight into this but some people have said he might have been the guy that was on some of those Beatles things as an overdub person it
3: may have may have been him
2: um yeah we're not sure but in any case this is a guy who's played with everybody um he's the drummer on Shaft which is an iconic <laughs> uh, yeah. um, So so yeah, so this was kind of inspired by that, but it but it also the kick in the snare pattern um kind of do the the Bo Diddley thing. The but but baby
0: diamond
2: Which again, Bo Diddley is like fifties and sixties. So to, to, to call the verse of this sort of a corporate, you know, late 70s, early 80s thing, I think might be missing some of the detail. I think there's sort of like a a, a 50s, 60s things baked right in there.
1: I think that might have offended you.
2: No, it's, it's <laughs> great. I, I, this was, f- I, I love this tune. I, we can talk about this for the next two hours. I think this tune's great. You
1: mentioned the Purdy Shuffle. That's the second time in like a week somebody's referenced that. What is the Purdy Shuffle?
2: It's just what he became famous for. It's this kind of groovy... Halftime 12 8 feel that he became famous for, um, that he played on a lot of things.
0: We all know about the triplet. We know that the triplet represents 12 4. We also know that it
4: represents 12 8 too. But you didn't know that it represents the
2: Purdy Shuffle <laughs> It's sort of bluesy, jazzy But still can kind of work In the context of pop music it, uh, the, the two kind of iconic examples Before Toto um, Home At Last uh, Steely Dan <laughs> Babylon sisters those two those two tracks kind of featured that groove um apparently, the other groove that that influenced Jeff Porcaro on this was um Fool in the rain, John Bonham led zeppelin
3: yeah, that would have come out nineteen seventy nine yeah on uh into the outdoor
2: yeah, so i don't I, when I hear it like that the the opening groove to this is iconic, and I don't hear anything corporate about it at all as a musician. I'm like, whoa, this is heavy duty. This is really cool.
1: As a drummer, Alan, I'm sure you've got an opinion.
2: Um, I do.
3: Uh, that was one of the patterns that I used to teach when I was working in Winnipeg at a place called Drums Unlimited. Wait a minute. You were, you were a drum teacher? I was a drum teacher. I taught for many years through university. What was that like? Oh, that was really interesting. Um, I taught mainly kids, but there were a couple of older people who came into drums late. Uh, including a 45-year-old mother. Um, but after we went through a lot of the instruction books, they wanted to know how to play certain songs, certain grooves. And one of the things that uh, w- always came up was the intro to Rosanna. The other one was the drum beat to uh, shout from Tears for Fears, which is not easy. Uh, not No, it's not shout. It was... Um, um, Everybody Wants to Rule the World? Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which is a really weird drum pattern. In what way?
1: Because uh, I love that track. To me, like if if I was stuck on a deserted island, that might be the one track.
3: Well, Brent Brent will explain how difficult it's so off rhythm in so
2: many places. It's all upbeats. Yeah, it's all offbeats. The whole groove is. Sorry, I'm super excited you guys brought up Tears for Fears because I was going to bring Tears for Fears up as well because, uh, I mean, I don't want to derail the groove talk, but uh, <laughs> but the guitar, like Steve Lukather's guitar playing, again, reminds me of uh, Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears in that it's so melodic. Like, these are these solos are so sing-songy that, you know, I, you could, they're part of the melody of the tune, really. Well, and, and Steve Lukather played the guitar part, except the solo
3: on Michael Jackson's Beat It. Yes. (laughs)
2: Didn't the whole band kind of play on that? And uh, I think
3: so. I think Picaro was the drummer. I don't know who was playing bass, and Eddie Van Halen came into the solo.
2: And I think, I think Steve Porcaro actually co-wrote Human Nature on Thriller as uh, well. It's possible. Again, yeah. you know, we're dealing with
3: really good crack singers, songwriters, and musicians. You could get these guys to play anything on the spur of the moment and would be brilliant.
2: Well, you know how you know you know how the name came about. Toto, do you guys know that story? Mm, no, that's a new one on me. How? Okay, so so they're in the studio. They were always in the studio working on something, and they were working on their own tracks, and they uh, they needed a way to differentiate their tapes from everything else they were working on. So somebody made a joke. Oh, let's write Toto, Wizard of Oz, Toto. Let's let's write that on our all on our stuff, so we know what it is. And uh, I guess um, what's his name? The bass player, uh, David Handgate, um, He actually explained to the band that in Latin, uh, in Toto uh, wait, I have a note on this means... you've done research I have. This is, this is a first for the show.: In Latin, in Toto means all-encompassing." And the band was all over this because, you know, they play in all these styles, they've played on all these records and so. It applied. So uh, why that was interesting to me is because I can't I don't think you can look at any of their music sort of superficially. I think these guys thought about a lot of things.
1: Well, then let's talk about that second section, which immediately goes from what apparently wasn't corporate rock, but to my uneducated ear sort of felt like it into something that seemed to be very popular in the very early 80s. And that was the doo-wop component to it, because I thought, oh, this this sounds like Billy Joel's longest time as an influence. But I looked it up and it turns out that Joel's track came after the Toto track. But it just sort of suggests to me that there was a lot of interest in something that I don't think we really heard in mainstream music since the 50s.
2: I would agree with that, although I think doo-wop kind of finds a way into music of all eras. That's I, I mean, it's a I I think it's a, it's an easy way to give something a real kind of retro flavor. Um, And, you know, so much pop music and rock music is, is about love and doo-wop is always love songs. And, you know, I think it harkens back to a simpler time and it makes people feel good. Um, But, uh, you know, it's interesting when, when you mentioned to me the Billy Joel, I kind of, I, I went to school on that. And so in traditional doo-wop stuff from the 50s and 60s there's a chord progression that is common Ooh. It's, for musicians, it's it's one six four five. Give me
1: an example song. so
2: it, it, let's talk about uh, Roseanne. It's in, that part of the tune is in the key of B flat. So the one chord would be B flat. The six chord would be G minor. Four and five would be E flat major and F major. Those are so B flat, G minor, E flat, F. Um. So that's the iconic doo wop chord progression. The Billy Joel tune that doesn't happen. It doesn't have that. So. It's a doo wop flavor in a production style. Only it it isn't true to the roots. Okay, but in the spirit of this Toto stuff, where these guys actually kind of pay attention to the history and they look back at things, I sort of went, "Well, I wonder what the chord progression in that part is." And it's sort of a twisted one six four five. It starts on the six. It starts on the G minor. Then it goes to the one, which is the B flat, and then it goes. Um, four one five so e flat b flat f and for a musician who loves to dig into these you know sort of super geeky music things i was like whoa this is really cool that they they sort of you know it starts with a 50 60s flavor in the drum thing the doo-wop thing is a '50s, 60s thing and they've taken the progression and they've twisted it these guys are brilliant
1: have, have we put the drummer to sleep on this conversation? No,
2: I'm. I listen. I know nothing about chords, because
3: I know a lot about beats and grooves. Don't ask me to talk about chord changes.
2: Well, in a simpler way, too. If you if you look at the if you look at the lyric, which is probably the least interesting part of the, this song, in my opinion. But well,
1: actually, if you listen to the isolated vocal tracks, maybe the lyrics aren't particularly interesting. But these guys are all over the place.
2: All I want to do when I wake up in the morning is see your eyes Rosanna, Rosanna I never thought that a girl like you could ever care for me
4: Rosanna All I want to do in the middle of the evening is hold your time I didn't know you were looking for more than I could ever be. Not 20 years since she went away. Rosanna <laughs> again. Now she's gone and I have to stay.
2: You know, it's a love song, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't deserve this girl, I got this girl, I lost the girl, I want the girl back. So, again, the doo-wop thing fits perfectly because it's sort of a, it's a twist on a love song, it's sort of a sad love song.
3: Okay, we are going to talk briefly about the identity of Rosanna. It is not, the song is not about Rosanna Arquette. That's
1: exactly who came to mind, because I think that's the only Rosanna I've ever heard of. Well, at the time, the song, David Page, who wrote the song, said he
3: based it on a number of people he had known. And there was a joke. It just so happened that keyboard player, uh, like Steve Reckera, at the time, was dating a a woman named Rosanna. So it became this
2: big sort of in-joke that... It was all about Rosanna Arquette. Wasn't he dating Rosanna Arquette? Wasn't that who he was dating? <sighs> yes,
3: he was, okay. as a matter of fact. Okay. And she uh, thought this was really funny, so she played
2: along with the joke, and then whenever she was interviewed about it, she says, Oh yeah, it's about me. Oh yeah. But it wasn't? No, it wasn't. Is there any truth to the rumor that In Your Eyes from Peter Gabriel is about... Uh, Rosanna Arquette?
3: There is that, uh, you know what, let me look that one up. I've heard that one too.
1: Okay, he's going back to the wall behind the <laughs> studio filled with books, three inch thick books. Hang tight. Uh, one moment please. Um, That's okay, we're not paying by the minute.
3: Inspired? Okay, well no here we go. Inspired by a trip to a cathedral in Barcelona he wrote the song uh, "Sagrada." Was, a comp- was scrapped, although in some aspects, the vocal melody and chord changes were transferred to "In Your Eyes." Have the "In Your Eyes" says nothing about Rosanna Arquette.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, Sorry. You, you know, there, you got this thing in front of you called the internet. I have it in front of me. As a matter of fact, that's where I'm
2: reading it from. Poor oh, oh. Rosanna, though. You know all these tunes that were allegedly written about her, and then and it turns out none of them were about her.
3: Oh, wait a second. Uh, Cameron Crowe uh, may have started this rumor when he directed. Say anything. He says that Rosanna Arquette, who is believed to be the inspiration for the song, encouraged Peter Gabriel to allow considering uh, to allow using the music in his uh, use the film or use the song in his
1: film. Everything I have ever seen that John Cusack has done, I've absolutely loved. I have never seen Say Anything. My all-time
3: favorite one, though, Gross Point Blank. Yeah, I would go with you on that one, too. Mm -hmm. Say Anything is a bit schmulty for me. Sorry, I'm out.
4: How do you feel? I'm feeling uneasy, man. Well, look, Brian, I don't want to suggest anything that might be uncomfortable for you, but you might consider, just consider the possibility that part of your problem, part of the thing that's making you so miserable is the angst over killing a lot of people. To my ten-year high school reunion, what am I going to say? Killed the president of Paraguay with a fork. How have you been?
1: So you wanted to talk about the synthesizers?
4: Yes. So
3: there, I worked with a guy named Eric many, many years ago, and this was one of his all-time favorite songs, just based on production and performance. And he sat me down and went through um, David Page's keyboard lines in in the bridge that 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 uh descending series of keyboard lines on a synthesizer and he broke it apart for me and he says this is why this is brilliant and i came to appreciate the song based on that
2: does that make sense oh yeah i love that part that part's amazing i get and and i have no basis for this this is just me uh hearing it um i feel like there's that real dominant 80s uh, synthesizer, which is obvious, but there's like a secondary part that kind of sort of flutters down, and that reminds me of um, Fly Like an Eagle, Steve Miller Band.
3: I, I'm pretty sure that they're using a Yamaha DX7 for that.
1: Because I can imagine in, in that age the the keyboards had very unique sounds, because this was the dawn of that technology. Well, it was the dawn of polyphonic synthesizers, and a
3: lot of them came with presets, and for example, uh, the Bass slap thing that we hear in Seinfeld at the all the uh all the interstitial music in Seinfeld. That's not a bass guitar That's a
2: Yamaha DX7. Yeah, when Um, I got my DX7 I spent a long time (laughs) Emulating (laughs) that bass thing. Yeah, for sure it is And that was a preset right it was a preset yeah,
3: so you know, we're dealing with 82 so I'm guessing they would have had access to uh, the DX7 and probably a German manufacturer called Oberheim, which was really big with bands like Styx and a few others. So I'm guessing that that is a combination of DX7 and Oberheim.
2: But you know what else is super cool about this track is that there's like this really fantastic piano part and also this Hammond organ part, which, uh, you know, at parts kind of sounds like a, a almost gospel sort of again throwback sort of uh organ stuff happening um so the the keyboard mix is not purely 80s it's is there's certainly an aspect of it that looks back as well as forward
1: the track topped out at number 14 on the hot 100 billboard chart in 1982
2: but it won like seven grammys or something didn't it? oh
3: it was huge at the grammy awards that year yeah and what I find interesting about it is such a complicated song. Oh, that whole album was so very, very intricate. Uh, and the band produced it themselves, which is really odd in the sense that when you have that many people with that much talent working on projects together, sometimes you need a lion tamer, sometimes you need a psychologist, sometimes you need somebody to come in there and sort of sort everything out, all the ideas and all the demands. But these guys were firing on all eight cylinders at the time. And were able to produce that album internally, which is one of the really few self-produced records that worked.
2: Yeah, it's remarkable. I think that's a testament to how talented these guys are. Not to mention all the experience they had working with producers playing on other people's records.
3: And by the way, uh, Michael, uh, Jeff Beccaro, the drummer, Yes. Uh,
1: he died in an unfortunate gardening accident. Well, most gardening accidents are unfortunate.
3: Well, this is this is true. He had uh, issues apparently with uh, what was it? A the the story for many many years was that he died as a result of exposure to a certain fungicide or insecticide. Oh. Was that insecticide
2: called cocaine?
0: No,
3: well, <laughs> <laughs> I know somebody that had worked with these guys, and that's what I said, yeah. and he, I got this death stare saying that uh, no that's not what happened there may have been a little bit of the uh, Peruvian marching powder in the studio at some time but the official death cause of death was after spraying insecticide in the garden of his house as a result of spraying this insecticide uh, something connected with uh, arteriosclerosis
2: and it resulted in a heart attack wow my understanding was that was from cocaine use and I'm having a hard time believing that there was only a teeny bit of cocaine in the studio because Bobby Kimball was busted for selling cocaine to an undercover cop and also wasn't his exit from the band ultimately because of all the legal problems he was having?
3: Uh, You know what? I don't know. All I know is that this guy that I knew uh, who had worked with them was absolutely indignant about what killed Jeff Beccaro. Hmm. Uh, you know, and I thought, I thought for the longest time that uh, this had been the inspiration for the line in Spinal Tap, where they lost a drummer due to an unfortunate gardening accident.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Your first drummer was uh, the, the John Stumpy Peeps. Oh, yeah. Great, great, uh, tall, blonde, geek with glasses. Yeah.
2: Uh, good drummer. Great look, good drummer. Good, yeah. Good yeah, drummer. Drummer. What, what happened to him? him?
3: He died. He he died in a bizarre gardening accident
2: some years back it's so really one it. of those things it was you know the authorities said you know best leave it yeah. it's not unsolved yeah. really you know
3: but that's that
1: would have been 10 years before that earlier yeah wow yeah Brent, fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for dropping by the studio.
2: It was my pleasure again. Thanks for having me.
1: Brent Bodrug is a Juno-nominated producer, engineer, and songwriter who has worked with such artists as Alanis Morissette, The Watchman, and Tom Wilson. His writing has been published in Billboard magazine, and his sound has been heard on the TV series Dawson's Creek.
0: Ever wanted to be a big-shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit GeeksAndBeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement.
3: We have another guest here, and it's Ken Tizard. Ken used to play with The Watchman and used to play with Thornley. He's also been doing a lot of solo work recently. Um, his wife, Allison, has been diagnosed with MS. I guess this,
4: this happened a few years ago? Uh, yeah, it'll be just over four years ago. And so
1: now the Watchmen and friends are hosting a benefit for Allison Tizard. How has it affected her life?
4: Um, well, I mean, uh, these days she has very limited mobility. Um, you know, she she went from being sort of an active, you know, sort of teacher, uh, kindergarten teacher to, uh, you know, in the last four years, you know, being Part time very um barely able to walk, you know. So it's 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 been very debilitating for her in, in many ways. Lots of pain and um yeah, it's it's a horrible disease.
1: But as I understand it, Allison was recently approved for some stem cell bone marrow transplants. Uh
4: right. yeah, she was. Um it's sort of like winning a really bad lottery, you know, her MS is that bad that they've accepted her. They only do about eight of these a year. Uh we're really lucky. Um, and we're really hoping that it's going to help. She's, she's had no reaction to any of the treatments uh, so far. And uh, and she's went through two of the top tier treatments already. So they said this is probably the only other thing that we can uh, do. And we're very hopeful about it. So we've relocated to Ottawa for six months, at least six months to a year. And uh, we're just living here in an apartment building and in the hospital every day. It so needs to be spent on something. And it's all stuff we need. And it's stuff that we, we need to get through this. And it's going to be great. And... Uh, I'm really surprised and and just um, uh, overwhelmed at the support that we've received and and the the benefit you know the bands that are giving up their time to come out and play this show it's it's pretty amazing.
3: The Canadian music industry is a really really tight knit one, and you've been around long enough that you've made an awful lot of friends and friends who are in trouble um, get help and and uh, so let's let's talk about this event which is coming up uh, on June 19th at the horseshoe. So we've got uh, the, the the Watchmen, so so Danny and everybody are going to be there. Yeah. Uh, members of the sky diggers,
4: yeah, we've got Josh and Andy there. Uh, Julian Taylor, uh, yeah, well, Julian actually, we just found out Julian uh, Julian was going to be there, but he has to be out of town, he has a like, wow. commitment change. But Julian's awesome, and I wish he was going to be there, but um, yeah, he just I just found that out yesterday. Uh, Holly McNarland, yeah, Holly's gonna be there, that's that's great. I haven't seen Holly in a long time, and, and we're she's uh, somebody that I've loved for a long time, so that's and great. I see C Spot Run on the list, <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: Now, if, if you're a Canadian. Music fan, uh, oh God, oh. Are, are they two still together, or, or do they? Are oh they yeah, get, they are
4: together. Good. They are. They are still together. They're still touring. They have, um, they have C Spot Run that still does uh, what C Spot Run does, and they also have a thing called the Orange Man Group, which is um, you know sort of a um, a corporate style cover band. They do all this crazy, these crazy great shows because they're such a good band at doing the covers. So they did that for so long since the late seventies, early eighties, right? They've been doing that stuff. But uh, yeah, Chris Broadbeck has been a, one of my oldest friends. He actually he taught me a lot about bass playing when I was really young. Okay, so let's talk about how to get into the show. Um, you can buy tickets online uh, through the website, uh, through the Horseshoe website or the Watchman, or my website. Um, I, I would say you could buy tickets night of, but I don't know if it's going to be sold out or not. I imagine it will. We've got some great people. Um, there's a few special guests that haven't been announced yet, too, and a few people trying to rearrange their schedules to make it, so... It's going to be a, it's going to be a great night. I mean, I hope everybody that wants to come down can get in.
3: All right, tickets are 20 bucks. Yeah. And I guess if you have any questions, you can email you directly, yes.
4: Yeah, yeah. Anybody can email me k-tizzard at ktizard@kennizard.com or through my website. I do I handle all my own stuff, so it's whenever you reach out to me online, it's going to be me you'll get.
1: And you've got the Facebook page as well, so people can get a hold of you through there. And you know, to, uh, to, to the point that Alan made uh, about when friends are in trouble, friends help out, there is a GoFundMe campaign uh, to, to help out as well. As you point out, there's a remarkable amount of expenses associated with something like mm-hmm. fighting MS like this. So I'm really, uh, really happy to see that you've got more than 260 people in the last month already donating to the cause.
4: Yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty overwhelming. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I've been a musician most of my life, which means I've never really had much money. You know, if if uh, if, if I need a pair of jeans, I save up for it and I get them on a special date. And that's all fun. Uh, that's part of being a musician, and I'm used to that. But having a wrench like this thrown in, I don't know what I'd what I would have done if people hadn't sort of gotten behind us the way they had.
3: And I'm looking at the I'm looking at the donation list. Uh, you know, a hundred dollars from Danny, a hundred dollars from Janet, a hundred dollars from Graham and Jan, fifty dollars from Kirk, and then. $1,000 from some anonymous donor. Uh-huh. So this is yeah. this is fantastic.
4: It's been amazing. We, we, I've had so many old friends reach out to people that I haven't seen in 20 or 30 years, and uh, and they've got a hold of me, and uh, we've had fantastic conversations and, and spent time catching up. You know, they're helping me through my days, you know, just, just messaging, messaging with me and texting with me and, and just keeping me sane when I go for my walks and stuff. And, uh, it, uh, yeah, the support has just been unbelievable, and I'm, I'm so... So changed by this old experience.
1: You know, Ken, give me some insight into this because, you know, I'm starting to feel my age. Yeah. You know, we're, we're at this point where, you know, we've already gone through the period where all of our friends were getting married yeah. and all that period where all of our friends were having babies and getting divorces. And now we're at the stage where we're starting to care for elderly parents. Yeah. But we're also, some of us more than others, hitting a stage where our own health is starting to fail and the health of those who are the closest to us. But what's what's that, that best advice you've got for someone who, finds themselves in the kind of situation you and your wife have found yourselves in.
4: Well, you know, the, the only thing that I can, it's it's so cliched because it's been said so many times, but the only thing I can say is, you know, try and try and stay positive and use humor. Uh, you know, that's something me and my wife do an awful lot, almost to a fault, you know, it's, even on our blog, you know, it's, it's just kind of, we talk about some things that, you know, some of our family and stuff say you're being a little too, uh, you're, a little, you're sharing a little too much um, I don't know it's it, it, you've got to be positive about it that's the only uh, for me that's the only advice that I could give cuz that's the only thing that's getting me through it.
1: Ken uh, all the best to you and to your wife and we're looking forward to the benefit show. We'll have the links to not only the show but to the GoFundMe campaign and to your Facebook page on geeksandbeats.com as well. Thank you so much all the best.
4: Thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it.
0: London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update.
1: Dude, we've been making some changes and the listeners are reacting to our new funding method. Are they reacting positively? Very much so. Good. Good. Over at uh, Patreon, where we've primarily been uh, getting our income courtesy of the donations of those involved, we've lost Kevin Button's $2 uh, donation and Mike Tweedy, and we lost Emma Borsellino a couple of weeks ago. But the good news is, since I've updated the PayPal payment options, we now have recurring payments from Kevin Button, Mike Tweedy, Victor Biggio. And Emma Borsellino. Nice. Very nice. Thank you very much. So now we have new payment options as well if you want to treat this as a, a subscription sort of thing. So, for example, Victor, who's been our longtime supporter, he is now paying $25 per week. As opposed to per episode, you know. Holy so, crap! Yep. Yeah. And we have now a one hundred dollar option per year. And Mike Tweedy crunched the numbers. He sent me a message saying that's eight dollars and thirty three cents a month. What a deal! No kidding. So as a result, we're gonna be pulling in a little bit of cash here, and uh, which is gonna help us tremendously when we're at CosmoFest June first. I can't help but
3: notice that you're spending all the money that's coming in on. Um Things for you in the studio.
1: No, no, no. I am only spending money on things for the Cosmo Fest show. Oh, okay. We just got from Vista Prince that big ass banner, the live on location banner that is seven feet tall. Okay. So that over the heads of the fourteen thousand people who show up. You can actually see where we are at right. the Big Cosmo Fest, which is near the front door, by the way. So if you want to come down, see how the sausages are made, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. We are going to be doing a live on location show. We'll do it on the face plant as well, but we want you to come down because I'm thinking maybe what we should get people to do is sign the banner that we bought. What do you think? Um or you don't want them to facing it. No, I don't want to I'll set them on the back. Okay. So anybody who comes down to say hi, not only will they be able to sign the back, but we've got little postcards. So, you know, the last time we did a big event like this, everybody lined up to get autographs from you. Yes. So we now have little cards that people can take away. Of you. <laughs> and me. Okay. We, we For every one of me, we got we got 10 of you. Oh, well, that's fine. Yeah, I don't think the Bay Street crowd is going to be showing up to Cosmo You Fest. never know, but that would be kind of cool if they did. So June 1st, swing by Cosmo Fest in uh, North York, I want to call it. I think it's actually technically Richmond Hill. Um, the, all the details will be on geeksandbeats.com, so you can join us as well. Yes, we'll be there. What is that noise? That's
3: the dog snoring underneath the console. <laughs> <laughs>
0: subscribe to all new episodes on itunes spotify and google play or stream us live every wednesday at geeksandbeats.com support the show on patreon and follow us on facebook twitter and instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with alan cross and michael hainsworth you